Hello everyone, you're listening to Game Rivals, a podcast where a Nintendo fan and a PlayStation fan talk about the latest games and happenings in the gaming community and industry. I'm one of your hosts, Maximilian X, and together with Sean Templar, we bring you this bi-weekly podcast about video games. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Gaming Rivals. I am your host, Maximilian X, coming you through the international airwaves with my co-host, Sean Templar. How are you doing, Sean? What up, what up? Wow, you seem uh, in good spirits. I am. All right, nice, yeah. Um, we're coming to you a bit earlier this week. Uh, because we started, we were able to record again, and we got a new setup, so we're doing that. Um, hopefully, the sound is a bit better. So, hopefully, uh, you all agree with that and uh, enjoy this new episode. So, let's just jump right into it. Um, with, of course, starting as always with the news. Um, this week has been somewhat interesting. Um, and when I say someone, I mean like a lot of interesting, because apparently Sony and Microsoft have joined forces. Cats and dogs. It's raining them. I wouldn't put it that way because the way you're putting it <laughs> is like they're going to do some shit together. Like they made it, they got drunk, they got into a bed and they did some funky business and out of it came a baby. It sounds like that. Whereas they're not doing that. They... Had a the dream. PlayStation One X S All Digital Edition, <laughs> the PSS, the PSSAD. Oh my God, that sounds like a disease. <laughs> no, but seriously, Sony and Microsoft have come to an agreement with one another to work on a uh, work on cloud uh, providing cloud services to uh, both their uh, users um, through Microsoft's. Azure uh, platform, which is uh, Microsoft's cloud platform, uh, to provide not only services, but also content. Um, So think about stuff like game streaming, which Sony already does through the PlayStation Now platform. Um, But we also know that Microsoft is working on their xCloud project to bring uh, Microsoft uh, games to every platform imaginable through the cloud. Uh, this would be basically the next step um, in which they'll use the Azure ar- architecture for Sony services and probably also for PlayStation to make uh, stuff like, for example, PlayStation Now more viable. I want to say, but I'm not 100% sure. And I, I think don't the take problem my word now for it. is that Sony decided to host uh, PlayStation Now in house. And yeah. they simply don't have the knowledge for that. And Microsoft has the knowledge for that because they have well, Azure. Uh, and it's one of the leading cloud platforms. It's either that or Amazon. So, yeah. Which is actually kind of funny because more information came out about it after the fact. Um, because apparently. The PlayStation branch of Sony was not aware of this deal that was going on to begin with, with Microsoft at least, because apparently Sony has been working on this for months now, and they were actually in talks with Amazon. Not sure how that one fell through, but the fact that they were talking to Amazon and using 
probably using their web services. Yeah, it kind of speaks to that they wanted to do something else um, to maybe supplant PlayStation Now as it is with something that is more known and more stable. Yeah, stable. So the fact that they that fell through and they're working with Microsoft now instead is a huge deal. They, I think they have to because of the 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 new fighter in the ring called Google with Stadia. I think they have to join it just forces. Sounds like a coffee. <laughs> the way you said it, yeah. Google with Stadia <laughs> <laughs> coming to a store near you soon. Um, uh, but yeah, I think that they have to join forces and to kind of compete in a way they have to stay competitive i mean uh, we, we mentioned this before when we before we went live is that people have been speculating this this generation might be the last generation and that streaming stuff would take over and i and i just said i think that after next gen which is gonna hopefully happen next year we'll probably have the last cycle and then we'll move towards an all digital streaming way well, to be fair, um, they've been saying this for the past two generations. Um, the technology and, wasn't there. Now the technology is here. Well, it's... Is it though? Because even if the technology is here, the connection for the technology isn't here. Yeah, but in a next cycle, it will be because then we'll have 5G in a lot of countries. And I've Maybe seen some because... 5G early uh, uh, demos and like early speeds. I saw speeds of up to a gigabit. So that's a lot. Yeah, but what what keeps internet service providers from either data capping people or putting out bundles or whatever it may have you that limits you of using the full capacity of your 5G network or your fiber. I mean, okay, except for fiber. Like in most countries, if you have fiber, you're pretty much golden and you don't have a data cap. And you're paying premium, premium. Yeah, you are play, playing a uh, play. You are paying a premium, but you're paying a premium for a reason. And that reason is fast internet and no data caps. And that is not something, that is not a reality all over the world, especially in the country that, you know, is trying to get it off the ground. Is that uh, the United States? Yeah. Ah, okay. And some European countries as well. Yeah, I know that, I believe South Korea is going to be the first countries to have 5G. So Really? Oh, yeah. Actually, that would make sense, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of ahead of the curve and maybe Japan after that. So, But let me just put it this way. I don't think there's anything stopping the, the internet providers from doing it because they're probably doing it right now. So... Yeah, but you have to. I would see it as a way of saying, okay, but there's a way for people to get streaming. And I think if the next next gen appears, then they'll probably put a bigger focus on streaming consoles and maybe still make a traditional console for the people that don't have a super fast internet connection. But mm. now, for example, what's going what what looks to be happening is that Microsoft is going to come out with XCloud, and I think that will be a complementary service on top of their hardware Xbox so that you can either say, I want to choose to have the Xbox X cloud, whatever it's called, 
or I buy the console because I like that. And then in the cycle for consoles after that, then the main focus will probably be xCloud saying, hey, this is the way to go. Oh, and if you still want to buy a physical box, we also have a solution for that. But that's not our main focus. I mean, well, yeah. Uh, I think that would be the best way to go because honestly, I don't see... I don't see it happening that they're just going all out. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if the Xbox sad is is not a form of a testing grounds for Microsoft to see how people respond to that, even though it's kind of a bad deal. So it's not a really good test to use. I think they're looking more at how many people are downloading stuff instead of how many people are actually buying a physical box to download stuff onto. And yeah, the pricing isn't where they want it to be, but I think they can still well, the do pricing like... and just the and just the capacity makes no sense if you're going for all digital. It should have not been a terabyte. It should have been at least two. You can also expand it with an external hard drive. So there's options there. Yeah, but then you have to attach something extra to it. And the whole point is that you basically buy a single box. I have an extra hard drive connected to my PlayStation. <laughs> I had an extra hard drive connected to my Wii U, but the point still remains. It's an extra thing that you have to do. And and, if I, really and, and, again, and again, if this is, and, and again, I'm not, I'm not talking about the fact that you, that you can't do it is the problem. I'm saying that the problem here is that if you're going to put out something that has the specific goal of not having anything extra needed, then why do it? That's 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 just the that's just basically the question I'm posing to Microsoft right now. Because if they're going to use the SAD as a measuring stick, that is the wrong measuring stick to use. That that that's basically how I see it. I just I have to laugh about that name, the SAD. <laughs> I'm gonna keep calling it the sad because it is sad. Plus, they it's it's on them. Whoever was whoever is in charge of naming stuff at Microsoft needs to get fired or get like a pay cut because Xbox One, Xbone. Yeah, but no. I get the one part. I mean, that's the yeah, all I, in one. But yeah, I mean, I get it too. But. Eh. That that was forced. That was Don Matrix stuff. I'm pretty sure they're still like kicking themselves that they had him basically say like, "Yeah, we needed to have a name that is all encompassing." Well, who knows how they're gonna call the next one? Yeah, who knows, man? It's up in the air. <laughs> Xbox Infinity to infinity and beyond. Oh, they should never call Most it that. that. They should not even start. The... No, that's not even funny. You do know that the new Halo game is called Infinite, right? All right, yeah. Ah, yeah. oh, well. It was fun while it lasted. Anyway, um, moving on. Um, it's, has, it's, not, it's not been that busy. Uh, it's not really been that busy in terms of news, has it? You uh, mentioned the Riot follow-up thingy. That is right. The Riot... Yeah, so... Um, just a little update. It's not really that big because um, it's just a follow-up of what we talked about before. Um, so, two weeks... After, yeah. So, two weeks ago-ish, um, 
bunch of people at Riot decided to go on strike because of what is in their contract is this arbitration clause where they're not allowed to sue Riot or people working at Riot if they're employed there. Um, They're forced into arbitration and settle it outside of court. And that is something that has caused a lot of ire, especially because of the culture at Riot. And they went on strike for that. About 150 plus people went on strike, a peaceful strike. They just walked out, did not do their work. The good side on this is that Riot did issued a statement that they're not going to reprimand anybody that took part of the walkout. They're not going to do anything rash and stupid and hurt their image more. And then they turned around and hurt their image more by saying that they're not going to take out the arbitration part because there are ongoing cases and it would be way too complicated to get it out. Which, of course, did not sit well with the rioters, and they say that they're going to do more uh, actions uh, until the arbitration clause gets pulled out of their contracts. Honestly, I think they could have probably pulled it out and still kept the current arbitrations going, at least until the end, and see how things go there. But they should have just pulled it, because now they just... They still look bad for basically saying, yeah, that was cute, but no, we're not going to do anything. Uh, yeah, I, I really haven't been following the story. So I just, don't know yeah, I just told you the story. Let me That's where we're at way. right now. Let me put it this way. I know that the industry is trying to push towards unionization. And that's what we talked about last time. Yeah. It's just that. I don't know where I I, I, re- I either read an article or listened to a different podcast the other day. And then, no, uh, it was the um, No Clip. Do you know the YouTube channel No Clip? Mm. They had an episode around Telltale about people that wanted to speak up about what happened. And one of the people there said that everybody hopes that games will get unionization, but that it's not as amazing as people think it's going to be. Because... Yeah. Um, for example, the guy in question, he came from the movie industry and started working in the game industry. And he was part of the Director's Guild, which is a union in America, I believe. You become part mm-hmm. of it when you're a movie director. And he said, the guild doesn't help me get a job. The guild only helps me when I have a job and they make sure I get benefits like healthcare and stuff like that. So people are painting this picture of that by unionizing the game industry it will be super good and super amazing. But I think that people are going to be in for a disappointment when unionization comes around and it's not what they expect it to be. Well, the thing with unionization is that um, it helps when you're trying to make better deals. If you're trying to get a better deal for the people that work the long hours, the people that are there. Also for people that work on a contract basis at at a studio like for example actors are in the screen actors guild if it wasn't for sag they couldn't do stuff like walk out or go on strike and get and get stuff done that's what a union does that's what a guild does but it's as the guy said it's not a way to get a job it's just a way to make sure that the job that you get 
you get honest pay, you get benefits, you get um, all, you know, you get equal rights in terms of other people that are already been working there. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just, on the one hand, I get why they want unionization. On the other hand, I'm kind of curious how that would work for the game industry if they decide to use the movie and entertainment industry as a example, I think because you have to realize that it's the game industry is not just entertainment. It's also tech. So what does, does the tech industry even have anything as unionization or guilds? I don't know. I don't think so. So it's kind of hard to actually pinpoint how you would tackle that at all. But the right thing is, of course, beyond that, because it's more about a a workplace just being the absolute worst and not trying to change the culture or changing things that improve the culture. culture. When certain executives just leave because they kind of keep that culture alive. And so the only way to kill that culture is to remove the people that enforce or maintain that culture. Yeah. I mean, I, I that's never going to happen. Yeah. Not, not, not to throw any disparity anyway, because I have absolutely no idea what, how to hire, uh, higher echelons of red games look like, but you also have to remember that they are also owned by a Chinese company. So I'm not really sure if they even care about what's happening at Riot. Um, I don't know if the maybe now because Riot there's strikes and stuff like that. But I do wonder how much. I believe Tencent is the uh, owner, right? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, like if it's Tencent, let's say that I don't think they're involved with the day-to-day operations and running of the company. I think it's more of a long-term strategy point they look at. And now, because of the strikes, they might be concerned and actively monitoring the situation by saying, hey, okay, but what's going on here? But I don't think they're that involved with the companies at such a level that they have impact on that culture or create that culture or, you know, create an environment in which that culture can happen. I think that's been something there from a long time. Yeah, true. Uh, I just... Uh, I mean, we'll see what happens. I'll keep an eye out on like the happenings there and see how that ends up and keep you guys posted. But suffice to say, uh, I don't know, at least at the very least, and in terms of Riot, things need to change there like sooner rather than later. Yeah. So uh, what else do we have here? What did I say that we... Oh, right. Yeah. So... <laughs> yeah, this uh yeah, this 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 one is a little for me. This one is a little for me because it is about uh the recent uh sales trend in Japan uh when it comes to PlayStation and Nintendo. Um so uh the PlayStation 4 actually launched later in Japan than it did in the West because we got it in November of 2013. Right, November. I think, I think so. it was November. 
Yeah, mm -hmm. November of 2013. Japan got it February 2014. So it's been out since February 2014. So that's, what, four years? Five? Yeah. Five like years. Yeah. So for five years, it has sold a little over 8 million units in Japan. And Nintendo just passed it last week by going to 8.1. I... In less than half the time. I get, yeah, like, it doesn't matter what I'm going to say, you won't tell me. No, I mean, you can, I mean, th th that's the whole point, right? You okay, so what you want to say. I believe that the reason they've been able to do it in the half the time and blah, 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 is because they bring out more games tailored towards Japanese audiences, whereas Sony brings out more games tailored towards Western audiences. That's why it's selling better in the West than in Japan. And that's why critical hits in the West are not always critical hits in Japan. Partially true, but you do have to admit that the fact that at least when the PlayStation 4 launched in Japan, it had more Japan-centric games to cater to. The I don't know thing, about that. The only thing that I, the only thing that I do know is that um, you know, outside of from the fact like 8 million is no small feat. That is no small feat. Whether it's four, two years or four years, it doesn't matter. That's a lot of numbers. But the thing with the PlayStation 4 is, um, is that at least in, for, in Japan, the growth hasn't been as great as past systems have been for Sony. Um, it's been good. It's been steady. It's been that, that that's the main thing with that and in Japan. It's been a steady sale versus to how it's sold in the West. Like in the US, everybody just loves it, and of course, in the UK, PlayStation has a more dominant role than Nintendo does. Um, and in the greater Europe Europe area, it also has that same effect. But for whatever reason, PlayStation Four has been uh, has you know sold well and then kind of stayed there and sold consistently. So the sales in general have been very consistent in Japan. But Nintendo just kind of swooped in and just fell over, mostly because Japan is a commuter country. A lot of people commute. A lot of people take their gaming on the go, either mobile or on a handheld. And we, and we know this because um, the PlayStation Portable, the PlayStation Vita... The 3DS, DS, all of those systems have sold immensely well in Japan because people like to take their gaming on the go. Well, that and people generally don't have a lot of space in their living room. So, you know, having something small and neat to just tuck away to play games on. Yeah, people tend to like that. I'm still sticking with what I said earlier. Because I think if Nintendo didn't have... Zelda, if Nintendo didn't have Super Smash, if Nintendo didn't have uh, Mario Odyssey, it would not have sold as much as it sold in Japan. Aha, but here's the joke. Legend of Zelda is not that popular in the U in, in Japan. It's more of a Western thing. But yeah. In terms of Nintendo properties, Legend of Zelda is not that highly ranked. Like, okay. If you're taking it versus like Mario and versus... Um, uh, what else versus Metro, well, Metroid? Metroid actually is probably even worse than Zelda is 
in Japan. Um, but Mario or Mario Kart or a Yoshi game or a Kirby game, Zelda is still higher ranked than those, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not that great. Breath of the Wild is probably one of the better sold games in Japan, next to maybe A Link to the Past, which was a Super Nintendo game, and maybe Ocarina of Time. The, one of the best-selling games of Sony of for this generation is Horizon Zero Dawn, and it's a new IP. And I rarely see Nintendo doing new IP. And I think they're just... St- and that's something they've been doing for generations. They're still riding on the success of their existing IPs, and they rarely do something new from an IP point of view. And it works, because people buy it from nostalgia or whatever, but... Well, then- well, they That's do. That's the ex- reason why I pick for PlayStation because they keep on putting up, coming out with new IPs, and I love new IPs. Well, they do exper- experiment, especially now the past what, ten years or so. If you look at stuff like uh, Wonderful One Hundred One, Splatoon, Splatoon Two, Pikmin, um, the new game that are coming out with Platinum Games, uh, Astral Chain. That's a new one. That's a new IP. That one is owned by Nintendo, even though Platinum Games is making that one. And yeah, of course, the, Zeno- like and of course the Xenoblade it. games. That's more of like Nintendo's publishing it, whereas Horizon Zero Dawn is developed by Worldwide Studios. Um, the Order 1886 was developed by Worldwide Studios. Um, Infamous was developed by Worldwide Studios. Those are all in-house made games. Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us, all in-house games, whereas Nintendo is just saying, oh, you know what, I'll just ask someone else to make the game and I'll just publish the game and don't have the rights. Isn't Insomniac a third party, though? Yeah, but I didn't mention Insomniac. But you mentioned Infamous. Infamous is made by Sucker Punch. Sucker Punch is Sony. Oh, right. I'm confusing those two. (laughs) Yeah, but Sucker Punch isn't, isn't an internal studio, is it? It is? It is. It got bought a couple of years ago. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's that one. After they came out with Sly Cooper, Sony bought them, and then they came out with the first Infamous on PS2, and then PS3, and then the second Infamous, and then Second Son, and now they're working on Ghost of Tsushima, which is looking to be really cool. All right. Fair, fair. I mean, we'll see how things end up, of course, but we know that next year is going to be the rise of the PlayStation 5, so we'll see how it goes from that point anyways. Um, But... Yeah, uh, at least you know, good on Nintendo for being able to do that in such a short time. You know, at least for at least for Japan. I mean, I don't see those kind of numbers happening at all in the West, but you know, good on them for being able to do that in their home country. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Uh, I guess that wraps it up for the first segment. Do you have any other news tidbits that you uh, want to talk about before we go? Um, no, not really. Nothing um, that cat, catches your eye? I'm looking, but I cannot find something so soon. But let me check, just to be sure. China will grow larger, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was on me. Oh my goodness. Wow. Oh, wait, I have something. Yeah? Um, Sony today announced that they're launching their film, their video slash film division 
and uh, they're gonna use that division to make videos and series and movies around their games in their own IPs. Yeah, let me know how uh, how that works out with the uh, with the, alongside the Halo serial that we're supposed to be getting. I think the Halo series is finally going to happen because there was also a- uh, yeah. Where's that uh, Nathan Drake uh, movie that we're supposed to be getting? Do you Nathan really- Fillion ain't getting any younger people? Do you really want me to begin and talk about that awful Mario movie that was made decades ago? What Mario movie? Don't you know that there was a Mario movie that was made that There was no through? Mario movie. Do you want to deny? It doesn't exist. Oh, so you're in denial. It doesn't exist. Oh, you're in denial. It's so bad that you're in denial. No, no, it just doesn't exist. Super Mario Bros. is a 1993 American fantasy adventure film based on the Mario video game series by Nintendo. Is that from Wikipedia? Maybe. Well, anybody can fill that in. Are you kidding me? I can seriously see a whole list. The movie had a budget of around 48 million and it made 20.9 million. You're so so much in denial, so maybe you should just think before you say something i think sony has a better chance of making a cool movie than some plumber yeah how did that ratchet and clank movie go i didn't watch that one really now yeah really i i I was reminded about it today that that movie came out so i'm gonna watch it this week gee i wonder why i honestly don't know but it can't be worse than this super mario bros movie yeah that doesn't exist but um i am looking forward i am i'm i am curious because seriously i'm i'm not even joking nathan fillion is getting older by the day please please just make the gosh darn nathan drake movie and get it over with but they didn't cast him for the role people just want him for the role have you not seen the fan movie with him yeah i've seen it it. is awesome yeah just just so sony just cast him already shoot the movie and like you'll have knocked that out in like a month yeah yeah anyways it's called playstation productions and it's uh overseen by uh i don't know how to pronounce this dude's name asad kizilbash he is uh he was in marketing i believe and sean Layden is also responsible he's overseeing the whole uh, division so uh huh. they have uh, some great leadership in there and we'll just have to wait and see what they do with that uh-huh. well, i mean yeah, I it's, I guess it's about time they actually did something serious with it instead of just, you know, talking about it and just promising empty promises. So if they're actually putting something in motion that that at least is something to look forward to. Yeah. Well, I don't they haven't outlined anything yet. They haven't given like a timeline like I'm going to do this first, we're going to do that first, but they're experimenting and who knows what they will come up with. Hmm. Well, at least it's something better than what Microsoft said. Hmm. Yeah. Honestly, the less we talk about that, the better. <laughs> um, yeah, so, all right. So I guess that's it for the news that is the news. Uh, stick around, and we'll be right back with what we've been playing. Alrighty, welcome back to our second segment. What have you been playing? 
Do you want to kick us off, Maximilian? What have you yeah. been playing? Well, I've been playing a bunch of uh, games. Uh, uh, yeah, let me just give you a quick heads up on what I've been doing in uh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, basically, I think I'm almost at the end because I reached, uh, like I said the last time, I reached a point where the game says like this is a point of no return. So what I've been doing is just doing some little tasks here and there. And my main focus is to do the hunting ground challenges so I can unlock um, unique uh, weapons. I mean, I basically got all the best weapons that I can get, at least the fav- my favorite weapons. Um, the, 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 the war bow and the, uh, the, the, the hunting bow, which is a more powerful bow. It's a bit slower, but the arrows are a lot stronger and I can tear off parts. The war bow is quick, nimble, um, does more uh, damage per second um, because you're quick on the draw, of course, and it's very light. Uh, so I like that one as well. Um, so I'm just going through that, doing some missions, making sure that at least I have the resources that I want, that I have the skills that I want, and just when that's done, I'm just going to plunge in go to the end and have that finally wrap up for me because i really want to know what's at the end of that uh, narrative uh, rainbow i think it'll be uh, you'll be a first surprise honestly at this point i don't think i'll get disappointed by the ending because at this point i'm just really curious to see what the ending just looks like and just well honestly you know what you know what the thing is Whatever the ending is going to be for this, I am almost convinced that Horizon Zero Dawn is probably one of the better environmental stories told in the form of a robot apocalypse. Or at least through a robot apocalypse. And if we are not like careful and stuff like this could be a possible future. Uh, and honestly, so. it, oh, really? You hope so? I don't hope so. <laughs> you want to be eaten by robots? Is that it? Because uh, I don't want to become meat paste. I do not hope so. Oh, you said I do not hope so. Yeah. I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't want the Judgment Day to pop up and Terminator to storm me <laughs> and say, Oh, man. Sarah I am not gonna lie. Like the the, the 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 future scenes from Terminator Two, honestly, still haunt my dreams. Oh God, I can't I can't watch that movie and see those scenes and just not get goosebumps of just how horrific that looks. Yeah, it's scary. Yeah. Anyways, but yeah, so that that's what I've been doing. I have also been playing. Journey. The PlayStation game? Yeah. I mean, I finished before back when it came out in uh, on the PlayStation 3. And a couple of months ago, it was on PlayStation Plus for the PlayStation 4. So I downloaded I think it was last month, actually. Even. So I downloaded it to my PlayStation 4, and it just been sitting there. And I thought, you know what? I have a few hours to kill, and it is not that long, I think. If you know what you're doing, at best, it takes you about an hour and a half, which it did. Um, I didn't play Journey, but, though. Well, 
You know what it's about, right? Kinda. Okay, so basically you're this character, this nomad in this post-apocalyptic desert where um, you're trying to get to this summit um, in the mountains. And you can see it off in the distance and you're basically working yourself towards that. There's no dialogue in it whatsoever. It's just your experience and uh, true cutscene storytellings. But the fun part and the most unique thing about it is that it's you can play it single player and you and that's fine. But it also has this um, passive co-op. And when I say passive, I don't mean that you don't see the person. You can be playing the, the game and then suddenly there's another person there. Oh, that's creepy. It is, but at the same time, it's probably also quite endearing because at that point, you're working together without being able to communicate without any form of voice chat. The only thing you have is this, it's kind of like the ping system in the ping, sorry, ping system in um, Apex Legend. Apex Legend. Okay. But you don't ping places, you ping yourself. And you can change the tone by holding the the circle button longer and then releasing it. So you can either do like quick bleeps or you can hold it hold it longer and then just have a loud noise so that you can ping where you are in the environment to try and get your partner to get there and work together and solve the puzzles. Okay. Now you can either work together or you can say, oh, there's a random person, whatever. I'm just doing my thing and keep going. And that person will eventually disappear from your game. And you'll eventually disappear from their game. The first time I did it, I played co-op with, I think, two or three people during a single session. And that was interesting. But this time, I actually played it pretty much from start to finish with the same person. So we all both ended up finishing the game at the same time. And it was quite beautiful because we couldn't talk to each other and we were just pinging each other and trying to point like, oh, there's a thing. Let's go check that out. And oh, no, wait, there's something here on trying to keep each other safe even though we were not talking to each other or sending messages or anything, just by interacting with one another and interacting with the game world is how we cooperatively went through it. It was really nice. That sounds cool. It is really cool. I will also not lie, the first time I played this a couple of years ago on the PlayStation 3, when I got to the ending, I kind of let a tear because the story is actually bittersweet. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I've never had that before with a game. Really? I don't know how to respond to this. No. You've never played a game where you're like, oh, damn, this was actually kind of really powerful on a profound level. Yeah, but not that I let out a tear. Eh, no. I had that with The Last of Us. Did you fi- play Last no, of I Us? No, I still need to finish that one. Oh, my- are you fuck, <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I will drop an F-bomb right now. I seriously do not understand how you cannot have played that game. Are you effing kidding me? Do you not remember when I got my PlayStation 4? I've barely had it for like a year. Did you not have a PS3? Yeah, I did, but I didn't pick it up on the PlayStation 3. It was 
the best game on the PS3. It got tens all over the place, and you're telling me you haven't played this game? Yeah. That game has been on sale so many goddamn times in the PlayStation Store. You could buy just for ten bucks. I know, I know, but I keep if missing. If you finish it. your Rise of Zero Dawn, throw Spider Man out the door. Just play The Last <laughs> of Us. Really? Come on! <laughs> what the hell's going on here? This guy. Are you fucking kidding mm-hmm. me? Anyways, I had that with The Last of Us. Okay. Ah, fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Last of Us really has some emotional stuff in there, like really powerful shit. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So, what have you been playing? Besides Formula mm-hmm. One, I I don't know. But the other day, yesterday, I just felt like playing the Division Two again because I, when the Division Two came out, I played it the whole week. I took the week off and I played it the whole week, and then at the end, I finished the game and started playing the end game. And eventually, I felt like, yeah, and. Yesterday, I suddenly had this urge to play it again. So I started playing it again, and uh, I've played it for... No, on Saturday. No, yesterday, Saturday. And uh, it was... uh, I played, like, from 9.30 in the morning till 3 in the afternoon. Mm -hmm. And I... Yeah, I'm all in the end game now. So what you do in the end game is you have invaded missions. So when you normally play the game, you have the... Normal missions, and then eventually, when you hit end game, there's this faction called the Black Tusk, and they invade the game and they invade missions. So it's the same level, but then with different areas or with different. Yeah, missions. we did that in the beta. And you, yeah, so you have to finish the invaded missions, and when then you when you finish the invaded missions, you do a stronghold, which is like a difficult mission, and then when you complete the stronghold, you move up in world tier, and then when you're up in world tier, you get better loot, difficult enemies, stuff like that. And so I'm in world tier five, which is the max now. And my gear score is around 425, which is enough to play the raid. Mm-hmm. But no, was it 425 or 450? Anyways, I, I'm close to playing the raid. But from what I've seen so far about the raid is that it's really difficult on console. And there's no matchmaking. So you either have to look for people outside the game to play the game huh. or you have to play it with friends because the way the developers put it is that to be able to finish the raid you need to have these builds that are tuned to each other and you need to have communication and you have to have, have a plan and stuff like that and now i read this morning that they're considering doing matchmaking because it's hard for people to Considering? find other people to play it with yeah they're working on something because initially they didn't want to do matchmaking, but now they're saying, okay, we're looking at a system around matchmaking to get people together to be able to play the raid. But apparently this raid is so hard and difficult that it's not a matter of just matchmaking eight people together and having them do the mission. Oh, okay, fair. Yeah, I think that one of the key themes of this division game is accessibility, to put it mm-hmm. that way, and not from a disability point of view, but more from a way as... We want the we want the uh, the entry level for a lot of stuff to be really low, so that a lot of people can just step in and mm. play it. They did that with the dark zone. They did that with the mechanic. So they are really trying to keep the the entry level low, so that a lot of people will just play it. And I think that that's the kind of the reason why they just don't do matchmaking as of yet for the raid because they're afraid that if it's too hard people will never play the raid or just say hey, this game is not for me okay huh 
I would have actually figured that the game, like it has a season pass, right? Yeah. I would have assumed that because the game has been out for what four, three three months now or something like that. Yeah, it came out in February, right? March or April. March. Yeah. Well, March or April. So. so if it came out in March, April, May, so, okay, so a little over two months. Um, I was actually kind of curious if anything changed in the end game. Um, well, what they did with the end game is, is that they added m- more world mission or more, more tiers and more uh, different missions. But they initially said from the beginning that the like the whole the big chunk of the uh, end game was going to be the raid okay. and. They did. They initially postponed the raid just to work to iron it out better, and now they finally brought it out because it was going to come out last month, and they brought it out this month. Okay, well, I'm curious to hear more about how that uh, how that game has been panning out lately. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm really looking forward to uh, Three Kingdoms: Total War, which is coming out this week. <laughs> so I'll be playing a lot of nice. That. Yeah. Yeah, I love. That okay, game. I totally want to hear more about that one because um, I've always been curious about those games, but I've never about Total War. Yeah, games, because or? well, the thing is, I've never had a rig that was capable enough of playing them at a normal pace. I I think I bought one of them a couple of years ago on sale on Steam, and I installed it and I tried to play it, and I think it ran at at best 15 frames per second yeah oh, wow. but then again the, to like be this. fair this was eight years ago with my older computer which i don't have anymore this is a more recent one that i built six seven years ago six years ago yeah well one of the key things that are coming out of the reuse because there are reviews for the game one of the key things that are popping up about the re- in the reviews is that they've optimized the game a lot. It's probably the best optimized Total War game so far. So even with older computers, you're still getting good performance oh, out of it. So that's one of the key things I'm hearing in oh, all the good, reviews. Because the last one I played kind of really did feel like it was about to burn through my graphics card. Um, <laughs> but then again, the, 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 the computer I had before this one was already old when I tried playing on it. So, yeah, that was not a good idea on my part. Um, but, yeah, I am mm-hmm. curious to hear about that. So if you're going to pick that up, uh, keep us posted. Oh, I cool. will. Um, yeah, I've been playing other things, but I'm going to save that for um, another segment another time. Um, so I guess we'll call this... Uh, this chapter closed for this episode and then we'll come back with our hidden gems yeah and welcome back to our final segment the hidden gems um so during the break we got to talking a bit and I was actually kind of surprised to hear what Sean Templar's hidden gem is for this week. Sean, would you tell the nice people what your hidden gem is? My hidden gem is Uncharted Drake's Fortune, which, if some people don't know, is the first Uncharted game. Yeah, not the second one, because actually, what was the second one called? Uh, Among Thieves. All right, yeah, yeah. Wait, I thought that was the third one. 
No, the third one is called uh, Drake's Deception. Huh. Okay, so uh, yeah, Drake's Fortune, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell us about it. Why is that your hidden gem? Okay, so the idea that popped into my mind to do this as a hidden gem is because um, I spoke to a friend of mine a while back, and that person has told me that they really liked Uncharted 4. And I said, okay, which of all the Uncharted games did you like the most? And this person said, I've only played Uncharted 4. At that moment, I was like, what? Nani? And Nani? I said, well, look, why haven't you played the other Uncharted? Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a PS3, so I can only play Uncharted 4. Uh, okay, and I spoke to another person, and this guy said, yeah, I just bought uh, Uncharted uh, the Remastered Collection, so I'm going to play Uncharted. I'm like, what? Nani? You haven't played Uncharted and you have PlayStation? Yeah, I just thought, uh, let me just buy Uncharted uh, whole franchise and let me just play that. And so what I noticed is that a lot of people know Uncharted from either Uncharted 2 or 3 or 4 because those were the really big roller coaster ride Uncharted games. And a lot of people tend to forget about Drake's Fortune because it was yeah, it didn't have these epic set pieces as the first Uncharted. It didn't have these crazy roller coaster moments in which you start half dead in a train and you think, okay, that's strange for the game to start here. I wonder what happened. Um, Drake's Fortune was really like a Tomb Raider game. And well, I, I remember when the, the first Wait, time... which iteration of Tomb Raider are we talking about here? Uh, a Tomb Raider game. Just like it was more of a puzzle game it didn't have this huge emphasis on combat and on these epic set pieces that would happen are you sure we're talking about the same game because i think that the first uncharted game had like the most combat like the last boss was basically an endurance round of combat yeah but what i mean is is that for the other uncharted had these big big like roller coaster moments, and the first Uncharted yeah, didn't have yeah. it. And the Uncharted, it had, it, it had Call of Duty set moments. pieces, yeah, yeah. But the Uncharted one, as far as I can remember, had more of these puzzly discover moments, and the later Uncharted ones were more focused on action. That's okay. in my experience, at least. And I remember the first time when I was playing Uncharted, I was amazed by how amazing it looked, how amazing the performance capture was how amazing the the graphics were i remember there was this part in which there was a waterfall and then i walked into it with my pants and i walked out and then my pants were soaked and my t-shirt wasn't soaked i'm like what this is so cool and then i went all in and then my all my clothes were soaked I'm like what everything's soaked and i looked at the water effects and the water effects were so pretty and translucent like oh my god i've never seen such pretty water and yet nathan drake's hair is holed up with polymer cement yep but that's one of those first moments in which the the potential of the PS3 really, really shined for me. And I had that with Uncharted 4 as well. When I, when I first saw Uncharted 4, I'm like, oh my god, this looks so amazing! And I, the, the cool part about the Uncharted games for me was is that it had these 
and in the first one, I never saw it coming, but there there is this twist that happens towards the end of the game in which mm. uh, I don't know if I should say it or not because I might be spoiling it or not. Oh, spoiler warning. Yeah. Uh, so if you don't want to get spoiled warning. by the ending of, of uh, Uncharted, uh, skip to about how long do you think it's going to be? A minute? I don't know. I think a minute. Yeah, so skip to a minute from now, and uh, you should be good. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay, so, yeah, so what eventually happens is that, did you play Uncharted 1? No, but I did see the ending. Wow, why? Why? Because I played the demo, and it wasn't my jam. You're seriously the worst gamer I know, (laughs) period. Anyways... (laughs) There's this part in which you got you end up in an old Second World War Nazi bunker, and then mm-hmm. suddenly there's these zombies walking around there, or zombie-like people, and yeah. that was like a complete surprise to me. I never saw that coming. I didn't expect that, so that was like a cool twist because the game wasn't really hinting towards some supernatural stuff, and eventually I read in an interview that it wasn't really supernatural stuff, but it was more like a ancient bacteria that caused the people to do that at least that's how the developers were kind of explaining it that there was this ancient bacteria from the time of uh el dorado that caused people to mutate and act like that just like in the second game there was this blue material the, the people ate that gave them super strength and kind of turned them savage that was the explanation of why the brutes were there in shambhala or in shangri-la or whatever um instead of just weird, overpowered blue people. So the developers always had this kind of a grounded in reality-esque explanation for stuff. But that, that part with the Nazi zombies and stuff, it was really surprising. I didn't expect that. That's what made okay, me see that part. See, that part is probably the most Tomb Raider you can possibly get, like old school Tomb Raider. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I thought the the combat was also fun. You know, the climbing mechanics were good. Um, it did have some six-axis controls in there. For example, when you were to walk over a tree branch, you would have to balance yeah, the controller. Yeah, I remember that. I yeah, remember that. I would just put the controller <laughs> on, the, on my table and just walk over. Um, <sighs> I'm happy that they took it out. And then, yeah, Uncharted 2 became this roller coaster ride, and Uncharted 3 surpassed that. Uncharted 4 was also supposed to surpass that. And in a way, I liked Uncharted 4, but I was also kind of a bit disappointed in Uncharted 4 because um, in Uncharted 4, Nathan Drake, you get a more backstory of him. So you look in his past with the relationship he had with his brother and that something happens to his brother and Nate thinks his brother's dead and eventually his brother turns up and they go on one last quest. And what I loved about Uncharted 4 is it has a more humane story because he's married to Elena, which is the girl he meets in the first game. And they're really... Nate has settled down. He stopped being this treasure hunter. So They he's played playing... Crash Bandicoot yeah, together. Bandicoot together. Seriously, that was... When I heard, that, when I heard about that one, I, I, I thought it was kind of funny. Did you in not play way. Uncharted 4? Why on earth would I play Uncharted 4 if I haven't finished the first one? Because it wasn't your jam. Maybe... Yeah, the first one wasn't my jam. So maybe you might have played the second, the third one, and the fourth one. 
yeah, I kind of didn't feel like playing those at the time. Oh my god. At the time. At the time. Have you played them now? No, I have not played them, but I am planning to play them sometime down the road. When's that? In 2050? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, there's a there's the collection, so I'm going to get that eventually. So that doesn't I know matter. you. You won't buy that shit. I'll just borrow it to you, and then you can play it. Because <laughs> I know you. You won't buy it. Let's just make sure that you can get it. Shit. Anyways, <laughs> in Uncharted 4, he settles down, and he's really struggling with dealing with a normal life. He's this... Uh, he's, he works at a diving company and stuff, and you you can really see him struggling, and you can kind of feel what he's going through with his wife, with Elena, uh, and then he kind of lies to her and sneaks off with his brother on one last quest, and eventually his wife finds out, and she joins him on the quest, and they kind of have like this really bumpy moment in their marriage that they don't trust each other, and or she doesn't trust him, and he's really trying to make up for it, and so... The, that's that's like putting a more humane side on, on Nathan Drake. And that's something I love. But what I really didn't like is the part where Sam, that's what his brother's called, is kind of made out of porcelain. And Nathan always thinks his brother might die or break any moment because there were so many instances in the game in which something happens. And Nate screams, Oh, Sam, Sam. Like he's like this pot that's going to fall and going to break, you know? That was really annoying. Sam, Sam, oh no, Sam. I'm like, okay, we know Sam's super fragile. I only need to blow at the dude and he'll just shatter into a thousand little pieces. Like he's a a cop or something like that. That was really annoying. But besides that, yeah, that's a nice finishing for the story. Yeah, I mean, and plus the brother is played by... uh... Troy Baker. Troy Baker, yeah. Which is funny because Nolan North and Troy Baker now have a YouTube channel around retro games and they make content for that, which is really cool. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Wow. Okay. You made a valid point. You made a valid point about. Uh, about uh, I mean, Uncharted if you one. haven't played Uncharted, then it's definitely a hidden gem or finished Uncharted. Uh huh. Sure. Anyway, you go good arguments. <laughs> good arguments. Um, so my hidden gem for this week was actually something I wanted to bring up last week, but I totally forgot about it. Is it um, a weird Japanese game again? It is in the sense that it's a treasure game. Oh, God. But it is probably one of the more interesting games that they have made outside of, say, Gunstar Heroes um, or uh, Ikaruga, which is a top-down shooter. Ikaruga? Knows that. Yeah, you know that, right? I- Ikaruga? No. Arcade-style shooter. Oh, I'm confused with something you're, else. I, I've heard of the game, yeah. You're kidding, right? Yeah, yeah I've heard of it. I'm confusing. Okay, everybody has played Ikaruga or at least seen Ikaruga. No, I think I'm confusing it with something else. Yeah, I'm confusing If you're it confusing it with Ikari Warriors, I'm going to slap you. No, no, no. I'm confusing it with Ikuzagami. The heck is that? It's a PS2 game. It's a hack and slash PS2 game. At the time, it was the game with the most on-screen characters, like 50,000 on-screen characters, kind of like a Dynasty Warriors on steroids. 
Okay. Okay. I've literally never heard of that game. Um, okay. No. But no, you probably have never heard of this game that I'm gonna talk about today, which is Bungayo Spirits. What the hell? Which is surprisingly a sequel to a Dreamcast game. Okay. Of a similar name, which was just called Bungayo. Uh, basically, what it is, it's a puzzle platformer where you play this little mech. Um, character that shoots like a bunch of bullets and the whole point of it is to um, bring destruction to the stage and you can shoot off bullets and it goes into like 50 different directions and you have a secondary weapon like either a bat or a club or a blade or something and you can just go through it and the whole point is that you have to destroy the whole level in as least um in the least amount of shots as possible, which is really cool. I mean, if you see it yourself, it looks simple, but the gameplay itself is very rewarding. Uh, plus, it is very challenging because you start off, of course, easy. It gives you like an easy mission, but with each sequential mission that you play, it gets harder and harder to do. It has a lot of levels, but they decided at Treasure to actually put in a level editor so you could make your own Bungai O Spirits levels. The thing is, though, they made the sharing of those levels quite unique. Because normally when you share a... Okay, so let's say, for example, you're playing Little Big Planet, right? Yeah. How do you share levels in Little Big Planet? They get uploaded to their servers and then you can just browse through the game levels? you can search for yeah. specific themes. Exactly. The same thing goes for Super Mario or Super Mario Maker. You upload it to uh, to the service and it's there for anyone to download. There are certain limitations when it comes to the DS, of course. The DS did have online capabilities, but they didn't use it for stuff like that. If you wanted to share a level mostly on a DS game, you either had to share a QR code or a 14-digit passcode or something rather or other like that. So primitive. With Bangayo Spirits, they used sound waves. What? As in, you made the level, and when you're done, it converts it to a sound file that you can play and put online, and if anybody wanted to download that level... They just open up the game, say, download level, hold the microphone up to the speaker, play the sound, and through the sound, it would download the level. That's cool. That is the most bonkers and baller way to share a level ever. That's and the funny part is, is that it works. That's the crazy part. Huh. I don't know how they did it. I don't know what kind of algorithms they used to turn data into sound and from sound back into data. But I have to ex- I have to imagine that some weird black magic mumbo jumbo is going on with that stuff because for a DS title to be able to convert sound into data is actually quite astonishing to me. Maybe the sound file is a shortcut to the level so that the level is still hosted on the server, but the shortcut, the sound file... No, because there's no, there's like zero online connection. No online connection whatsoever. Huh. It's all saved locally. Okay. That's strange. 
and the thing is you can make those levels elab as elaborate as possible so i will say this it takes a while for the for the sound to get converted hmm. like when you when you save the level and you want to share it the conversion from uh, from the game file to the sound file yeah takes i think a couple of minutes that's still fast yeah, I mean it's still really fast considering what it is. Um, but you also the thing is if you have a corrupted sound file, like if whoever uploaded it online to like for example YouTube or whatever to share, if that sound file is not clear, it won't be able to read the level and will not be able to download it. It'll just show that there's nothing there. Okay. So you have to have like a really clear sample file of that. Well, at least the way of sharing is cool. Yeah, the the sharing is cool. The gameplay is really I I got pretty far, um, and it is crazy because it is a DS game and it is two D, but because of all the particle effects that the game uses, it kind of has this weird, well, weird cool effect at least for someone like me who used to play super nintendo games of slowdown so when there was like a lot of bullets going around and you keep fragmenting them it goes into this really cool slowdown moment but honestly i think it's the ds just barely keeping up with all the bullets yeah, on the screen <laughs> and all the lines because all the bullets leave tracer lines because oh, cool. you use those tracer lines if you if you mess up in your run and you try the level again, you know, like, okay, I'm not supposed to shoot at this angle because that way, if I shoot this angle, the bullet splits into other different uh, different angles and I don't get to um, destroy the whole level. And yeah, yeah, it, it's really cool in that, at least in that sense for me, it, it was at the time. And I honestly just want to find this game and play it again because... Don't you have the game anymore? No, I don't. What? Why? Um, reasons. Okay. Reasons of the um, freeze FBI kind of persuasion. What, did you get it on an R4 card or something like that? Something like that. Well, you should probably be able to buy the game. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I saw it on eBay... uh, but I want to see if I can find it for a decent price. Um, also, I don't want to import it from the U.S. because the the shipping costs alone are just bonkers. You should be able to get it here, I think. Yeah, I mean, I saw a few European listings, so I keep an eye on that. Honestly, I'm actually kind of surprised that I didn't think about it when I was in Japan and just picked it up there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. So is life. And so is another episode of The Game Rivals. Do you have anything more to share before we sign off? Um, anything, to, uh, anything to uh, entice the listeners? Uh, do you have anything specific? I'm just thinking. Ah, I was just thinking about our little project that we're working on to or not working on but working towards with the project or the yeah the e3 project the hype train is uh, okay slowly rolling into the station we might be able to tease people about what we kind of want to do so um e3 is coming up in two weeks yeah 
Okay. No, so, well, a little over two weeks. Yeah. So uh, what we, and this is like a sneak peek, it's not set in stone yet, but we're thinking about doing some cool stuff around E3. And so far we have that we can, we will do multiple episodes in the same week and it will be a bit more bite-sized chunks instead of mm-hmm. like really long episodes of two hours. So it will be, uh, for example, an episode around the press conferences. Microsoft is doing a press conference. Huey is doing a press conference. Bethesda, uh, Square Enix, uh, mm-hmm. Nintendo is doing a direct, maybe? Of course, yeah. Yeah, already been um, announced. Sony is not participating with the conference. That's the first. Sony chooses to skip it. Maybe they'll do a state of play. Um, I hope for their sake they do a state of I play. I hope so as well. So we'll be doing some content around the press conferences. And then mm-hmm. on the days of the E3, we'll be doing um, like an end of the day recap in which we just discuss the games for that day that we saw and that we thought was really cool. And then we might be able to do something like a best of the E3 game awards thing at the end of the week in which we have like categories and say, hey, for me, uh, action game of the show was blah, 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 blah. And uh, Maximilian would probably say the Nintendo game of the show was, well, I can't choose because there's so many awesome Nintendo games, which they're actually not. But he'll find a way to squeeze some Nintendo stuff in there as well. Uh Uh-huh. So yeah, you know, stuff like that. And it's people will just have to stick around and to see what we're doing. But I think uh, there's some exciting stuff coming up. So stay tuned. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I'm looking forward to it. You know, the, the, the hype train is, uh, is, uh, has left the station. It's, uh, it's uh, starting to pick up and uh, kick it into high gear. And uh, yeah. by the time E3 arrives, I'm, I'm assuming that it'll be at full steam. Yeah, I, I just wonder if this, this will not be, and I mentioned this before when we were offline, to put it that way, I wonder if this is going to be one of the last big E3s because it's shrinking and shrinking and a lot of publishers are dropping out and doing their own events. For example, EA is doing EA Play, which is, they've done for years. And if more and more companies start to drop out, I don't think they'll be able to hosted in the LA Convention Center because it's also pretty expensive to do it there. So mm-hmm. you might get these smaller events focused on one publisher instead of a whole big show and a lot of publishers. Well, we'll just have to wait and see. I mean, E3 has gone down to a smaller thing a couple of years ago and that kind of... Yeah, that, was, that was not handled well. No. I mean, no. from, from a coverage slash from a press point of view, I think it was really nice because... Um, oh no, it wasn't. At least from from the anecdotes that I heard from you know, the game journalists back then, it was just a mess because they were just keep they kept running from hotel to hotel. Yeah, and they were in separate hotel rooms, and it was just really tedious for them to cover games. Yeah, but uh, for, yeah, I, I heard that as well. But I think that from a focus, so like developers would get more focus on their game because they had more time to go in-depth on their game instead of just, oh, I need to show you them for five minutes and then we're done. Yeah, true. But that's mostly the video stuff anyways. But I would I will say I will say this, though. Um, if this is probably one of the last big ones, I don't think E3 is going to go away because E3's whole point was that it was a trade show. 
yeah. not for the public, but for trade. So if they're going to do it for trade, they might do something more smaller, more intimate and have uh, game developers do their stuff outside of that. Um, so they can at least focus on the business side of things, depending on how long GameStop still exists. Yeah, I know that, for example, and I don't know if they did it this year, but Sony has an event for all their retail partners, and it's called Destination Destination PlayStation. And they yeah. did it in previous years in which they just kind of did an event for their retail or sales channel partners. And then mm. they kind of went through the whole year with them saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. This is what, what you can expect. This is this, blah, blah, blah. And I think they might go towards those kinds of events as well. Yeah. So, well, let's see. Let, let's just see how this uh, turnout uh, ends up being. I mean, this is, I think, this, is this the second year that it's also open to the public? Second I, or third I, it's year? It's been open for a couple of years to the public, but yeah. like, you've been to Gamescom, I've been to Gamescom. It's not comparable to E3, but no. it's just so busy. I mean, oh, oh no my God, kidding. why would the public want <laughs> to go to that? I mean, I understand that you have that sensation of, oh, for the I just really want to play this game. I really want to play this game, and I can't wait till the end of the year or whatever. I understand that feeling, but it doesn't weigh up against waiting three or four hours to play 10 minutes. You know? They go for the Bratwurst to Gamescom. Well, that, that and the McRib. Is that a subtle hint or a... Oh, no. I mean, like, the cafeteria there at the at game, at game at, at the Kula Mesa has, like, killer Bratwurst and killer chili worst, so... Oh, I didn't know that. I thought it was more like a hidden reference for the booth babes that are walking around there. No, it's literally about food. Maybe they get, no, I can't I can't do this. I can't make this joke that No, really don't bad. please don't. Please don't. We'll we'll get banned. Please yeah. don't. But uh but don't you go away, um, because we are about to end the show properly. Um I'd like to thank you guys all for listening. Um uh from myself and of course from Sean Templar. Um we like uh we, we enjoy talking to you guys. We enjoy shooting the breeze uh, over these hour and a half sessions. Um, and we also like to invite you to join in on this festivities. Uh, even now, more than ever, it's uh, a lot easier. Anchor um, now has the availability where people can leave voice messages, not just through the app, if you don't want to download the app or if you don't use the app to download this podcast, you can also go to anchor.com, click on our uh, podcast there and leave us a message. That's so cool. if you want to leave a voice message, if you want to contribute something or do you want to ask us a question during the podcast, feel free to go to anchor.com slash game rivals. Uh, leave us a message there and we will be sure to put it in the episode and either answer a question or um, respond to through a question that you have or an answer or whatever it is that you want to leave us behind, please feel free to do so. Um, this has been the Game Rivals podcast. We are on all the major podcasting stations, uh, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Overcast, Our Spotify. Our audience is actually growing. 
the Overcast audience is surprisingly <laughs> growing. Yeah, I did not even think that that was a possibility, but I'm yeah. really glad about that. So yeah. thank you for that. Yeah, you can also find us uh, through email by uh, contact us through gamerivalsfeedback at gmail.com. If you want to hit up us up on the social medias, we are on at game rival game underscore rivals underscore on Twitter. You can also find me on Twitter at Maximilian. Um, if you want to contact Sean Templar, do that through our main Twitter or through our email or leave us a voice message. So, um, do you have anything else to say before we head out, Sean Templar? Stick around for E3. It's going to be really cool. It's going to be something because uh, I honestly, legit, I'm looking forward to doing to doing that and for bringing you all that con- content directly to your inner waves. Yeah. So, from myself, Maximilian X. And me, Sean Templar. We're signing out and wishing you a very nice evening or a very nice day. Bye. Bye.